Welcome back again to Uncommon People, the show about you and me and everyone in between. This is a show where I sit down with somebody else and talk with them about their life, their experiences, their perspective. This is a conversation for me to learn from other people and their stories and to share with you those things that I learn and probably things that I don't because you're going to notice things and be affected by things differently than I am. So I hope you enjoy this sort of thing. This conversation was with Scott Wood, who is a friend of mine that I was very privileged to sit down and talk with. We talk about his story, his journey um, through a really difficult time with a certain medication and a lot of struggles that came with that. But not only that, but the things that he learned from overcoming those struggles and his journey through that, as well as a bunch of other things. This was a conversation I value greatly and was very encouraged by, and I hope you are as well. So without any further ado, here is episode 32 of Uncommon People. Say what they want to say. Very few people are saying, hey, I'd love to hear what you have to say. Yeah. I mean, the older I get, which I'm not very old yet, as you know, but the older I get, every year it feels like I'm learning more of the value of not talking, of being able to listen, and not always offering even a response to things yeah. beyond showing that I've, I've actually paid attention to what you said. Yeah. I guess learning to, to recognize when people want some sort of reciprocation and when they really just want to know that they've been heard yeah. is that's, something I'm learning. That's been hard for me in that, so I'm an external processor. I have to talk through everything to come to my own conclusion. So there's, I love when I have people that will listen and maybe pull out of me the solutions to my problems that I'm trying to arrive at. But the flip side of that is I'm very aware that I have a ton of opinions Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm, I have very strong opinions about most everything. And I pretty much share them whether people ask it or not. And, I, and I'm aware of that. And when I talk to people who, um, I, I think like what you're saying is, is, is correct and that there's something to be said about just listening. But so when I try to get in that mode of just listening, I get conflicted internally because I'm like, I'm, I feel like now I'm not being true to myself. Right. It's not how I'm wired. Because you have something to say right. most it, all the time. Right. And yeah, so now I, I feel very that. conflicted because uh, it, it really does feel like it goes against the grain of who I am. Hmm. But I admire those people. We sit in meetings here at work, and I've got a couple of guys and gals that just amazing people. And we talk, and it's very even-keeled. It's relatively not a whole lot of... Um, emotional verbiage which is where I live and I, f- I feel like a drama queen during the meeting I'm just <laughs> like man and uh, they pick on me because they'll they would tell you that you'll always know where I stand and if I don't say it my body is going to tell you hmm. just through body language and yeah but again the moment I try to hide that and I'm like I'm going to become a better person I'm going to be a, a better listener I'm not going to respond the more internal conflict there is, and I think huh. the worse I get at it. 
Well, I think we do really need, though, people who will stick to their guns and know what your convictions are and what, where you stand on something and be willing to talk about it. Yeah. I think the opposite extreme is a lot more, um, has a lot more potential for a negative outcome and <clears throat> yeah. people not wanting to express anything, mm-hmm. any real solid, strong opinion about something. Because right. if you don't land anywhere, you're kind of just stranded in this yeah. middle ground where you don't really mm-hmm. believe in anything very solidly. Right. And I think a lot of people are erring on that side these days. I say these days, you know, right. I've lived one life and it hasn't been that long. And I like to try and keep that in perspective, but I've, I've seen a lot of people that I've interacted with and, and just observed who would rather err on the side of not having an opinion because the fear is someone gets offended or someone just has an opinion that seems incompatible with yours and to put your opinion out there is to risk conflict, and conflict is bad. Mm-hmm. But I don't think that's true. Um, and even thinking about it in in that light, I recognize in myself when that happens, it's fear that's motivating me mm-hmm. to behave in a certain way. And if that's my motivation, I already know I'm on the wrong foot. Right. I'm already starting from the wrong place. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I've, I admire people like you too who are ready to state what they believe. I think that's huge. Mm-hmm. Have you always been that way? I I think so. I think that, um, yeah, I mean, I've just, I've lived a lot of life. I've just seen a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't like, you know, what, what you're talking about, um, you're right, it is a fear-based motivator. And that's, that's, that's not a, that's not healthy, and I always assume that if we're in a situation, if you and I are talking about something, we are both going to have something to say about it. But if neither of us do, I feel like <laughs> now there's just this underlying tension, and we're never really getting anywhere. Right. We're never really, like you said, landing on anything. Uh huh. And so we'll never come to a consensus. We'll, you know, we're never going to unify over anything. We're never going to find a common ground. We're both going to walk away and probably say what we were thinking to someone else. Yeah. Instead of saying it to each other. And not have learned anything in that exchange either. Yeah. And I, I do agree that that is a, I don't know if it's a, I don't want to say it's a lost art, but I do believe that I saw a clip, a video clip um, from a television show from the mid to late 90s. It was a talk show. And on the talk show, they were batting around some very heavy topics, cultural issues, and they were talking very openly about it. And, and as, as clear as you and I were, are right now, um, with very little emotion, I mean, a little, you know, a little bit of passion. Mm-hmm. But you could tell that they were both fighting both to, to state their claim, but also to understand the other person so maybe they could arrive at a consensus. Yeah. But here we are, you know, 10, 15 years later, and there's just things that we just don't talk about. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure that that's the right path. Um, yeah. So if I take that bigger thought and break it down into a one-on-one conversation and say, you know, is that, is that the, the path forward? Is that the way to resolve things or learn things? Again, 
I really feel like if nobody's saying anything, everybody's got something to say. And if right. you're not saying something, um, that there's there's a reason why, and I don't. I want to make sure I'm not the reason why, but uh, fear is, you know, the huge a huge motivator. Yeah. Do you think your you mentioned that you tend to have strong opinions on pretty much any given topic. <laughs> sure. Does that come from you just being someone? You said you've lived a lot of life, but not in everyone does that t- lean in that direction. Hmm. So, do you think it's from um, being someone who wants to process through a lot of things and understand it that you have strong opinions? You've actually you want to give thought a lot of thought to anything that you're going to put your energy into? Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. I, I really don't know how I arrived at that. And I'm not, I'm not even sure that I give a whole lot of thought, you know, to a, to a process before taking action. I'm, I'm very action-oriented. Um, and I'm very much gut more than brain um, and so I just, I don't know, I just have a lot of strong initial reactions and thoughts about things. And, mm. um, you know, after almost 50 years, I've, I've generally got a lot of context, but I, I, I don't know that I can answer how I got to where I am. You know, fortunately, both my parents, they've, gosh, they've been married. I can't remember. I'm going to, if I say it, I'll be wrong and then I'll be in trouble. But I mean, something like 50 years, I yeah, would think, right? Yeah, forever. Yeah. And, um, and they're still together. They're both still alive. They live here. They're still active in our lives. And they really helped instill in us, you know, first and foremost, just me and my sister, just our, our relationship to the Heavenly Father and to them and a strong sense of, of faith, which then built up internally a very strong sense of identity and really just, you know, a lot of time trying to figure out who I am in the world that, made me feel like I had, I had something to say. Yeah. Um, but then you have to balance that out. Now I've got kids who are, you know, 20, 18, 16, and I need them to find out, you know, what their relationship is like with the, with the Heavenly Father and where they fit in the world and what their unique, unique identity is and kind of their spiritual superpowers. And so now this is, again, we're back to I'm looking at them and I'm like, do I say anything? Do I not? Do I allow them to? not allow, but do I encourage them to, you know, um, get out there, give it a shot at the risk of great failure. And because they're connected to me, it still could impact me, you know, positively mm-hmm. or negatively. Yeah. These are the things that dad, I sit around and I just kind of like, hmm, yeah. Where, where do you draw the line of what you say and what you don't? But mm-hmm. I don't know. My dad was a real strong man, amazing man. This was my mother. Um, and I, so I, I can't really say how I got here, but. Uh, I guess I, f- I phrased the question that way to give it maybe more context. It's that's the way I see myself. I also tend to have pretty strong opinions or ideas or thoughts on almost anything that could be brought up. And for me, it's come from being obsessively detail oriented in my life. Mm-hmm. And so everything I do or all of the, the things that I accumulate yeah. or anything that I interact with, I want to find its root and understand why it is that thing is the way that it is or why 
let's say in the workplace, I do a process a certain way. Why do I do it that way? And is it the best way that I can do it? And I tend to take that into every area of my life. So I've usually thought a lot obsessively about any given topic or or task or Mm -hmm. object or something. I could give you reasons why I'm wearing the shoes that I'm wearing and the jeans that I'm wearing and why I used that cup and why I'm recording with these microphones. Um, So I come at it pretty much everything from that place of wanting to be very focused and detail oriented with everything. So I could, I could say those about myself. I I would answer, or I could answer those questions in the same way and that I can tell you why I chose this shirt Mm -hmm. and why I chose not to wear a hat today. And I can tell you why I picked, well, yeah, that cup. Yeah. Um, and, and why, why I use the camera I use and why I live where I live. And so, um, I don't, but I don't, I guess for me, I don't consider that to be detail-oriented for me. I, I just kind of think I'm weird, but I'm glad to hear you're weird, yeah, too. Yeah, um, I would say thoughtful. It sounds, yeah, it sounds thoughtful. It's very intentional, intention. yeah. Yeah. And I think, um, so again, I'm very, I'm very much action-oriented, but I'm also very, like, purpose-minded of what's the purpose of a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm always going to ask that question from a spiritual standpoint, from a natural standpoint, I'm always looking at what is the purpose of this? And once I understand the purpose, then I can really begin to understand the position and the function mm-hmm. of it. Um, yeah. Because if I don't understand the purpose, I don't know what its position should be. I, and there, then I don't know how, what, it, what the function should look like. Uh-huh. And so a lot of times, you know, coming into a, a situation like uh, here at work and marketing or on set with photography, counseling somebody, somebody will ask you a question or present a problem, and you have to ask like, you know, 30 probing questions to go way back Mm -hmm. because you can't just start where, you know, with what you're being presented to go way back and find out how do we arrive here? What was the original intent? What was, what's the purpose of this thing that we're dealing with and why is it not functioning? So, you know, maybe I should give myself a little more credit, maybe a little more detail oriented but I look at you guys and I'm I get intimidated by how detail oriented y'all are you guys well yeah there's you and there's a couple of the people that I would lump you in with that I really admire your just your work and your work ethic and how you carry yourself and so I yeah it 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 can intimidate me at times Hmm. in that uh I'm just not that way um well that's encouraging to hear from somebody a bit older than me (laughs) A bit. I mean, right, yeah. Uh, how old are you, Scott? I'm 50 this year. You're 50 this year. Okay, great. So you're not quite twice my age, but you're close. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Which is something, I mean, that's honestly one of the reasons why I thought I'd like to record with Scott. Nice. Because when I started doing this, it, I was pulling people from the circles that I was most closely involved in. Yeah. And that means people who are generally around my age right. or younger. And... Um, there's lots of reasons this show has evolved, but one of the things I noticed was I will get a lot more diversity of thought just by bringing in people who have lived a bit more life. I mean, the first person I recorded with was my friend Colby. And I remember sitting down and not having any idea what I was doing or what the goal was here. But the episode went so smoothly, the conversation went so smoothly because Colby had lived more life, mm. 
and knew how to talk about his story. And I'm just now, as I'm saying this, realizing, looking back, that's why that first episode was so much, it felt so much more focused than the others, is Mm -hmm. because even though I didn't know what I was going for, Colby knew almost instinctively, or he had learned through his life, how to talk about the things he had been through. And then going into the rest of the episodes, the rest of the people I had on, a lot of them just didn't really know that. When you're in, right in the middle of a situation, it's hard to know how to talk about it. Yeah. And if you're in the middle of this early, informative, growing stage of your life in your 20s, and you're still in the middle of the storm, it's really hard to step back and have a lot of perspective on it. Yeah. And I've noticed that from talking to people who are older or who are maybe around my age but have lived a lot of life they have a pretty good grasp on how to talk about it usually well there's just an element of context you know that uh, somebody who's either lived longer or has just been through stuff Mm -hmm. they've got the beginning the middle and the end Um, whereas a lot of times you run into somebody that's younger they've just kind of got the beginning and they're starting to see a little bit of the middle you know Mm -hmm. that would be you know, some of my, my girls, um, they're, they're starting to kind of peek into the middle. Mm-hmm. And um, that was that fine line I was mentioning of how to help them transition between that because I've walked through those and mm-hmm. can help them. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, there's just so much, so much value in people that have overcome something. Yes. You know, I, I think for me that um, we've, like I said, we've, done a lot as a family we've been through a lot and if if I had to kind of summarize you know one of the more preemptive things that we bring to the table is just a sense of overcoming and that we hope that when we get around people that will ask those questions that can pull that out that you in some way help build their faith so that they can overcome as well mm-hmm. and it takes somebody that's you know that's got some years on them that's been through some stuff, or if they're younger, they, they can be younger too. There's somebody that's been through something they've proven they've overcome mm-hmm. and they've gotten on the other side of it to be able to really draw from that. Yeah. And I know you've, I've heard some of your story <laughs> just, just briefly. I don't know really any details. Yeah. Um, which is funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, which I'd love to get into more of that, but I don't also want to just rehash things that yeah. are always talked about. Yeah. But, um, I would love to back up a little bit and learn more about your life. I mean, yeah. so your Trinity, your daughter Trinity is 20 now. She is. Right? Where, where was Scott at 20? Oh, what, what was life like for you? And you're from here? No, I'm not. Um, so I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Oh, okay. Yep. And then um, came up there and then moved to Dallas, Texas. And then from Dallas to a little town of about 7,000 people just south of Tallahassee, Florida, called Perry. Okay. Perry, Florida, little pulp mill town. And then from there um, up north to uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, then to Louisville, Kentucky, and then here. I've been here about uh, 20, let's see, I've been married 24 years. I've been here about 25, 26 years. Okay. But when I was 20, gosh, let's see, that would have been... Yeah, I mean, newly married. I had just left a corporate job here in the area, working for a large corporation. 
and a buddy and I had launched out into a commercial <laughs> commercial cleaning business. Okay. <laughs> uh, and we started um, cleaning homes and then realized that, uh, number one, we had no experience. Number two, there was no money to be made trying to clean other people's homes. And so we, uh, he had a grandmother who had had a cleaning business back in the day, and she showed us the ropes, and we immediately went out and started to get large commercial uh, contracts. And so we did that for several years. But, yeah, 20 years ago, man, that was what I was doing. I was scrubbing toilets. Yeah. Working all night long, trying to start a business. Man, that's quite the leap from, uh, <laughs> well, remain unnamed, I guess, for, for this conversation, commercial sure. corporation yeah. into... I guess starting your own small business. Man, I was so frustrated. I was just not built for the corporate world. Mm. I just really wasn't. And um, and it showed. And God bless the people that put up with me for as long as they did. Um, but yeah, I had to get. I had to do something. So it was a drastic leap, but I needed drastic <laughs> measures. Yeah. Because uh, it was just. It was rough. It was bad. So how did you feel going from that and getting away from something that you knew you didn't enjoy mm-hmm. and then studying another business and realizing maybe that it was also difficult? And, I mean, you mentioned it didn't pay well, so there's so. some things to figure out there. How did oh. you feel while you were scrubbing toilets and meditating on these things? I think I felt pretty good because I wasn't stuck, you know, in a, as a cog in a wheel. Hmm. Um it was a different kind of stress, a lot of time, not a ton of money, but we, I mean, we, we worked really, really hard for several years. Um, well, let me say probably two, and by the end of two years, you know, we had like 24 employees of which wow. eight were full time and a lot of, a lot of large contracts. And then I began to work a lot less. So, but you know, but yeah, in those moments when you're, scrubbing toilets I, I think I was just so excited to be outside of a structure that was just chewing me up mm-hmm. but I didn't really count the cost that much I was younger you know I didn't have as much responsibility as I have now so you right. can make that dramatic leap take the cut and pay and work all night long and you know newly married no kids yet right yeah hmm. you're not scrubbing toilets anymore though no <laughs> no uh not that there's anything wrong with that. No, you, huh? No, but I can scrub with the best of them, man. Yeah. <laughs> I can knock it out pretty quick. No, um, I mean, just to recap, if I can do it from memory, I've had a bit of job ADD ever since high school. Mm-hmm. Everything from a working at a gas station, a photojournalist, to I was a became a professional firefighter and EMT right out of high school. Really wanted to be a, uh, uh, a state fire marshal. Also tried to get into the FBI for a while. Um, just wanted to be in civil service. Uh-huh. It's a bit of an adrenaline junkie and was qualified to do some things. So did all that. A uh, little bit of college and then, um, yeah, moved up into here. So, of course, like everybody else, did my time for the corporation and jumped out with a cleaning service. And then somehow got into construction, doing uh, commercial construction. Did residential, then got into commercial large-scale project management and as a superintendent and did that for several years and then um, what was that 08 09 the economy tanked mm-hmm. um, they went through laid everybody off and I ended up back in the corporation that I had walked away from yeah um, different capacity better pay a little bit more 
responsibility. But I did that until uh, 2015, 2016 when I launched out full-time in photography and video. Mm -hmm. And now this is, so you, did you start branches? No, this was started by a gentleman named Jesse Lane. He started it, you know, I, I don't want to get it wrong, but I know there was a kind of a birth of it in 2011. In the last few years, it's really been um, growing exponentially and gotten bigger and bigger. But no, I did not start it. I've, in a few weeks, I'll be at my one year uh, okay. work anniversary. Okay. So, gotcha. Yeah. But um, you mentioned this being, you talked about the, the fingerprints on the wall, yeah. the typography fingerprints. Um, you mentioned this being a, uh, you work with a lot of faith based nonprofit organizations yeah. and such. Can you talk about why that matters to you? Yeah, I mean, I may would have to back up a little bit, but yeah, um, I, that. I, I think that, uh, well, let me answer your question, I'll back up and answer it again. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, it's important to me because, you know, growing up in a faith-based home, we've, um, my father was a pastor, um, and the ministry and our walk with God has always been just exceedingly important to uh, me and to my family. So we kind of filter everything through the view of, again, purpose. Mm -hmm. And we feel our purpose, or there's a family, myself specifically, we, um, we just invest in a lot of people, um, and we really do have a heart to expand the kingdom. Um, and we believe that uh, that's... That's just our jam. That's our sweet spot. If we're, it doesn't matter if I'm scrubbing toilets or if I'm an agency director or if I'm shooting images. Um, if it is expanding the kingdom and it has been established on the word of the Lord to me, then we are right where we need to be, uh, and that's purpose. And so for working with Branches, which is a digital marketing firm, um, helping faith-based nonprofits do awesome things that I'm just not, either skilled, capable, or I'm just not out there doing it. You know, they could be translating Bibles. They could be bringing awareness to um, situations in other countries where they're discipling um, people under great persecution and uh, or providing water. And so being able to help equip them and resource them um, is really just awesome. It does give a lot of purpose to what we do here. Mm -hmm. um, but now if I back up a little bit and go straight back to 2015 when I told you I'd left the corporation and uh, jumped out into photography and videography. Um, that was birthed out of, you know, probably some of what you've heard of some of my story, which we had a real health scare with me. Um, and my body just really wasn't functioning a whole lot, and I didn't know what to do. And so the word of the Lord to us was to start this photography business and jump out and do that. So we did, and we did it for several years. And then, you know, round two of some health stuff um, in, um, well, right when COVID hit. And at the end of that, um, and I'll give context to it here in a second, but at the end of all of that, um, so I'd been a full-time photographer, COVID hits, I watched my entire annual income disappear within like a 48-hour window when everything got shut down all because I do a lot of events and mm -hmm. all these right. events and then some of the bigger companies that we shoot for send everybody home and so I didn't know what to do um, and then moving on into the beginning of 2021 I'm coming out of a 
health crisis, and again, my body's still not functioning quite right. And uh, that's when Jesse, um, the founder of Branches, through you know prayer, they were already interviewing other people, and just through his relationship with the Lord, had been praying, and the Father told him um, that he should interview me. And so, just a really cool, and I just glazed over like, you know, a hundred cool details, but Mm -hmm. for the sake of time, it was just a really cool moment that I'm on this end praying, man, what am I going to do? And uh, I've got a real unique situation here. He's on the other end, um, needing to fill a role that I just so happen to be fit for. And so, you know, let's begin the interview process. And it was really neat because when I had my photography business, I've got some T-shirts, and on the back it says, um, capture, create, and connect. And that, that was all we really wanted to do. We felt like that was our, um, that, that, that was what we were grace and gifted to do, even more so than photography. The camera was just kind of the key to unlock the door to be able to capture things, but to connect people with other people because we're great connectors, connect them with the Father, um, and, and, uh, and just convey the Father's heart through our business. And when I came to Jesse, and I was like, well, what, what does this role entail? And he kind of gave me the high level, and it was almost the same verbiage of capture and creating, connecting, hmm. conveying. And so um, I immediately knew that this was the role for me. So when you ask what makes it so special to work with them, it's really that it's more special to me to work here because it was birthed out of a pretty traumatic experience um, for me and so it was great provision and so customized by the father through branches to me um, that I'm just very grateful I'm very excited and um, so I, that so because that's special it makes working with the client special yeah mm. so it's a long answer but yeah um, yeah I like that I like when I don't also <laughs> I like when I can ask people questions and they do give a long answer without <laughs> me having to work so hard to pull things yeah. out of people. Yeah. You know, some people, uh, whether it's on this or just just conversation in general, not yeah. everybody is uh, ready and willing to talk a lot. But personally, I enjoy I enjoy yeah. listening and I enjoy being able to get somebody talking, um, especially when I can see that they are talking because they feel safe enough to do so. Right. And in a lot of contexts, I think if you don't already know the person and they do feel safe enough to talk, that, that goes a long way for them. I think, um, I love though that you mentioned photography and that business was almost a way of facilitating the connection that was more important to you. Um, I like that, because that's something I'm discovering in my life. Yeah. Like I've been dabbling in photography for a number of years. It's a hobby that I really enjoy. Yeah. And over the last few years, I've realized I really like portraiture. Mm. And that's as I grew as a person, I also realized that's because I really like people. I like yeah. talking to people. Yeah. I like getting to know people. Right. And then this podcast came along and I started discovering more of that and realizing like I was saying to you earlier when I make photos of people after this after we record 
that's almost, that really is almost an afterthought. It's something I want to be part of it because that's something else I do. But the much more important thing that I've done in this interaction was conversation. Yeah. It was getting to know somebody and their story. And man, I've just really been enjoying that. Like, yeah. it's, it'd be really cool to do more photography work and create more art. But the side of it that I'm realizing I'm leaning more and more toward is just that connection aspect yeah. of just talking to people, yeah. getting to know people, um, seeing other people who are really good at that mm -hmm. and realizing I can learn from them and that yeah. it's that it's something you, you can put your energy into and, and people will appreciate. Um, so that's also that's another encouragement hearing that from somebody well, else. I've I'm a much better person than I am a photographer in the sense that um, I laugh when people, when we get hired, it's generally, I think they just secretly want my wife. They just, everybody loves my wife. You've met her. She's amazing. And I think that they tolerate me and they just, they get her because I show up. But, um, man, I, I tell you, when I think back to like my f most favorite photography moments, it has very little to do with photography and has everything to do with the interaction with the person. Mm -hmm. And we have repeat, you know, events that we do. And we have just become such good friends with these people that are over these huge events. And we keep in touch during the year. We talk, we text, we will uh, encourage one another, we'll pray for one another. And, and the only time we see each other is, you know, a, a one day or a two day, you know, type event. And now locally, it's funny because <laughs> there were times where I like I was like, man, I need the money, I need to do this job, but there wasn't much of a connection there, and I would find myself saying, ah, it's, you know, it'll be good, the money's good, but I'm really missing that element of the that connection with the person, uh, and you know, right or wrong. Like I said, that was the word of the Lord to us was really to, um, I, well, one time we got asked to come teach, or not teach, one time I was asked to come share my story with, I don't remember how many hundreds of high schoolers at the Jones Center for a, uh, like an art media festival. And I told them, uh, they told me who was going to be on the panel with them. And I said, are you sure you want me to come? Have you heard my story? Um, I, I was like, I, I have a really bad business plan, a business model. I said, number one, look, I took my GED out of high school. I'm self-taught with a lot of this stuff. Um, and they said, no, we just want to hear about how you grew your photography business. I said, okay, here's how I grew it. I gave the majority of it away for several years. I said, and then the word of the Lord to us was to launch a business where we went after the relationships we ignored the money, and we tried to help find messages and get those messages out. And so I would begin to judge these situations where I was like, I really need this money. I really want to shoot this. But these three criteria that I try to meet, it's, it's, maybe it's just not there. There's no, there's no relationship. There's no message. There's no, so now I'm just doing it because I need the money, and so do I want to do that? In a lot of cases I did, but I'm just baffled at like, the situations that I found myself in that I had no um, business being in. 
being in a in a private meeting or in a boardroom at a table with some big names, you know, um, spending time with celebrities, and then locals, our locals, which are amazing. I just I, I shake my head and I chuckle at times when I think about all of it because, well, first and foremost, just favor, but secondly, um, it started off because you had a camera around your neck, you know, that key that opened that door, and next thing you know, you're behind the scenes. And now you've got this lifelong relationship. And that's just my, it's just so stinking cool. And it's just my favorite part. And I'll, I'll just kind of chuckle as I start to rehearse, you know, stories and situations where I'm like, how, how did I even get here? I, you, you, I look at you and, um, you know, you're amazing at what you do. I love your work. It's fantastic. And I, I know I get it. You're not supposed to compare. You're not, but I'm like, I'm looking at stuff and I'm like, these people are amazing. Why am I sitting at this table? There's so many people out there that are, you know, wonderful at this stuff and just hands down, very, very talented. And it was kind of tough for me to swallow at times, but then I realized, and I would just laugh because this relationship and this connection that was there that really drove that. Um, like I said, lots of favor, but I have no idea how I ended up in so many situations. I've been on so many rooftops downtown um, to give opportunity for imagery or drone work and on the stage at the amp and uh, just the coolest stuff. But again, these are people I can name all their names. I could, you know, show you the, um, the photos of our time together and the random meals between things that really mean much more than all of that. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, it sounds like you recognize that the work or the job is kind of just on the side. It's there yeah. to provide the opportunity for something else that's actually a lot more important. Yeah. yeah, it was always secondary. Yeah, and I don't, I don't, I don't take that lightly because photography is very important to me. It's been a very, a, a wonderful blessing to me. Um, but yeah, it's always been, it's always been secondary. Mm -hmm. the, you mentioned the word favor a couple of times. That's yeah. something that I has been mentioned um, around me mm -hmm. a number of times in ways that were very curious to me when I first started hearing people use the term. Okay. Um, so I'd love to, you to share, like, what does that mean to you? Favor, having favor or experiencing things because of favor? Mm -hmm. And why do you think you've had that experience? What is what is favor? Um, it's a great question. I mean, it's it's this intangible thing where um, I don't know. It only comes from the Father, and it's just a gift. You know, in my case, to me and to my family, where there were things that happened that I couldn't make happen. I couldn't, I wasn't good enough, smart enough. I wasn't sales, salesy, if that's a word, salesy enough. Um, it was just sheerly by favor where things worked out in my, well, in my favor. They came out and I came out ahead and I had no business being ahead. Hmm. I'm not that great. Um, I'm not...
Um, <clears throat> just a guy like everybody else that goes through stuff, you know. And um, you know, when you pause and think about these things, and I think about that unmerited favor that's been offered and extended, um, it, it can be overwhelming. Yeah, because it's not you're like, <laughs> man, I'm just a human with a bunch of you know crap. How how did I get here? And I don't I don't you know I don't sit around and think that I'm worm dirt. I mean I'm I'm a I'm someone who's been redeemed and being redeemed, but that unmerited favor that you just, I, I don't know, you're asking me to quantify something that may be not quantifiable. Hmm. Um, I can point to it after the fact, yeah, which is a great lag indicator. Um, but I, I can't, I don't know if I could put it into words. I know that you have it. Um, I think it's evident on your life, and I think that what you're doing now is a proving ground where you are, you are building, you're putting tools in your tool belt because you're going to find yourself in situations in the future where favor and, and God's grace got you there and you know how to respond and you know how to manage yourself um, in the middle of it. I watched a lot of people who were very talented, very gifted, but beyond talent and gifted, because you're you're talented and you're gifted, but you're also anointed, which is different, right? It's it's an on top of it. Actually, is uh, I don't know what the the word is for the top of the hierarchy, but um, what God has entrusted in you is a lot. And so because of that, I, I've just I've seen people who have favor, and they get out there and they launch on favor, and then they fall apart because they either had character issues or um, just project management issues or time management, money management, all these things, right? And um, it just kind of was a flash in the pan. You're like, man, shoot, these, these people were just really on a great trajectory. But I really do believe that for you, um, you you've got a ton. You've, you've just got a really strong, very um, tangible gifting that the Father's given you. And I believe that he's going to overlay his favor on that, that what you're doing now is just really is kind of a proving ground, kind of a, a laboratory for you that you're just adding on skill sets and gaining things that will, once you really experience that favor we're talking about, will keep you from spinning off in it, um, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. But yeah, I don't know that I can quantify it. Yeah. So tough question. I appreciate that, those uh -huh. words. Yeah, and I'm, I guess I would... I would respond in a similar way because I could also I could I could point to things that looking back on I see as the favor of God in my life but when I was in the middle of things like I was talking about earlier mm -hmm. it was really hard to make sense of any of it yeah um, well that's the truth yeah God, don't yeah. ask me questions in the middle of stuff <laughs> I, what's funny is I will give you an answer that, that and they're both right in the sense that if I'm going through, like, the, in a few weeks ago, I was going through, like, something really hard, and I wasn't on the other side of it yet. I was experiencing it. I was having all the emotions. I was going through it. And so when someone said, how's it going, I would give an answer that was in the throes of the pain and the confusion 
and I'll also give an answer that was full of faith, having overcome and on the other side. Hmm. And that I hate that when I sound confused because I'm I'm giving you, you know, two responses. But yeah, what you're saying is in the middle of it is uh, that's a weird. I hate that spot. Well, I, I mean, given what you just said, though, it sounds like too that even when you are in the middle of that and you now know because of what you've already been through and maybe this is why you're able to give that kind of an answer you understand what is coming and that it is something good yeah. and to be um something that will bless you and build you up yeah. and you're not just wallowing in the presence of the pain of it because it's easy to fall into that place oh, gosh, i mean yeah. we've all done that We've all, I mean, especially in your young life, whenever you're going through something, it's easy to not have the perspective to say, this thing hurts and this is really hard, but I know that it's not going to last forever and therefore I can rejoice in the middle of this. And from our perspective, as men of faith, we can say, I'm putting my hope in God and what he's going to do and therefore I'm going to give thanks, not for this awful thing, right. but recognizing what it's making in me. Yeah. That's a really hard place to come to, though, to be able oh, to man. see that. And in the middle of it, say those things to God, right? Because yeah. most of the time, all I want to say is just like, I don't want to deal with this. Yeah, I'm over it. I'm done. Yeah, yeah. yeah move me on. What's, what's the next yeah. thing? And I've done that. Um, been through stuff and just been like, I've been here before. Yeah. When is, when am I not just in this lesson learning stage? I I think that just an interesting observation about that. um, I believe that our walk with with Christ is, is, um, well, it's not linear, right? It's more, I don't know if cyclical, but it's circular in the sense that things come back around. Mm -hmm. But they don't come back around so much as they think of like a spring Hopefully the next time that thing comes back around, you have a different understanding of who, who the Father is to you, who you are to the Father, the authority that you carry, the identity that you have. So when that thing comes back around, you're like, I recognize this. I've been through this before. You're at a different vantage point. You're at a, mm-hmm. hopefully a higher elevation, for lack of a better term. Yeah. So when you see it and you catch it, hopefully you're not starting over again. I've had a lot of times in my life where I was like, yeah, I didn't. I've been through this before. I'm at the yeah. exact same maturity level, spiritual level, and I'm gonna. I'm 100% about to go through this all again, right? Um, now in my life, I'm finding that I these things come around. I'm like, yeah, I recognize you from like five years ago, mm. and um, but I, you know, through Christ, we dealt with it then, and we'll do it again. It won't last forever. It's that hope on the other side. Um, I. I've experienced um, enough of the Father's goodness and His faithfulness to me to 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 be stuck in those moments, you know, where you're just in the throes of it and and you hate it and um, you don't know where the end is or how you're going to get out, but. You've experienced the Father, so you know that those questions aren't even valid. Um, it's a 
it's a human question to ask, which is it's fine. We're human. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just not even probably not even the right question. I don't know what the right question is, but because of my I just let me dip in real quick. The I've been through a lot with my physical body in the sense that um, I had a few like gosh twenty twenty five twenty so years ago uh, working for this corporation while I'm at work. I uh, had a few panic attacks. Didn't know what they were. Really just thought I was dying. Ended up in the ER a couple of times. Hmm. And, um, you know, it was the 90s, so you just kind of threw a medication at it, and you're like, oh, here, you'll be fine. Just take yeah. this long term. I was like, great, yeah, just keep me from dying. It was the 90s. We're doing that, <laughs> We're doing that today, yeah. too. We're right back at it, right? <laughs> yeah. And so they put me on a prescription medication, and unbeknownst to me, it was a very high dosage and... Um, they told me there wouldn't be any long-term effects. So in 2015, I really started having problems with my physical body. My memory started to go. I started to have muscle tremors. Um, I could tell something was just kind of off. And I went to a doctor and I said, I don't know what's going on, you know. And he just said, well, it's that drug that you're on. And he said, we've got to get you off. And I was like, great, let's do that. And he said, yeah, the problem is we don't know how to. I was like, what do you mean you don't know how to? You know, I've been on it for 20 years. And He's like, yeah, this drug's not even legal in a lot of other countries. And uh, in America, we're just throwing it around. And uh, it's, a, it's an anti-seizure medication that one of the quote-unquote benefits is that it dumbs your brain down enough to where you'll stop having panic attacks. Mm. And um, he said, yeah, we just don't know what to do. He said, you know, alcohol, opiates, these drugs, these like alcohol opiates, he said those are um, very painful and hard to get off of. He said, but what, what you need to do, what you need to come off of is very dangerous to come off of. He said, it's rewired your brain and your central nervous system, and you're getting ready to remove that, and you're taking your life in your own hands. And um, so he, he <laughs> the doctors, the, pat, the, the plan they came up with for me was to put me in a medically induced coma for 12 weeks. Um, and then try to wean me off of the drugs. You can't just stop it. And um, I was like, I don't, I don't think that's the word of the Lord to me. Let's not do that. And so through a lot of uh, uh, input and counseling through the doctors and the staff and where I, they asked me, you know, where I live, how close was I to the hospital, will my wife be at home? And they're like, yeah, we're willing to give you a shot of tapering off of this drug. And so I started to, and I entered into a level of hell that I was not prepared for. And they warned me. They told me, be ready. You're taking your life in your own hands, and this is not going to be easy at all. Um, And they couldn't even really find many success stories of people that had done this. And um, so without all the long, you know, details and everything, I would tell you that all of 2016 was me spent fighting for my life as my body began to try to deal with the reduction of the drug. I wasn't even able to get all the way off in 2016. I got halfway, and then we had to stop just because it was so hard on my body. But I spent, I don't remember, sometimes my time would get a little fuzzy, but um, I want to say it was around plus or minus a month I spent. I remember a particular period of time where, 
Uh, I lived in a sleeping bag on a two-foot-wide section of our master bedroom, and I could not. My body wouldn't function. Um, I dropped, like, 18 pounds. Um, they were feeding me um, boiled eggs and Gatorade to keep me going. Several trips to the ER to try and save my life. A um, lot of seizure-type activity. And my brain just quit working, man. I mean, I didn't know who I was, and um, I didn't know where I was. And uh, so that was all 2016. But in the middle of that, to connect it to what we're talking about, was through the hardest thing I've ever been through in my life. Laying there on that floor, just asking, dear God, please just rescue me. The scariest moment was, I'm in the middle of this. And I don't know where the end is. And um, I felt like a guy who had been in a, like a little canoe, a little dinghy, that I had pushed off from the shore into the ocean. And I had now gotten to the point where I couldn't see the shore that I had left and I couldn't see the shore I was headed for. And no one could help me. And I was like, my family's going to leave me. I have... I've exhausted my money. I have no, now I have no insurance. I have, you know, and I'm, I'm <laughs> surviving in the, in my bedroom. I remember I would, uh, I would have to take this medication. Like I said, you can't just stop it. You got to reduce it very minimally. And I would break these little pills in half. And then I would take one in the morning and I'll take one in the evening. And, um, I remember I would wake up at like 5 a.m., my body just in the throes of overwhelming, like everything that this drug was supposed to keep at bay, which it did by dumbing down my system, it brought it back magnified, right? So we're talking like anxiety, the emotional piece would be the anxiety, agoraphobia, whatever you want, all these things. So I'm dealing with that and a physical body that will not function Mm -hmm. and a disconnect between my brain and my function. A brain, brain in my brain in my body. But I would wake up about 5 a.m., take this little drug, and then I would lay there and I would stare at a glass of water and a rescue dose. I would stare at it until about 1 a.m. And, you know, I would ask myself, can you keep going? And it wasn't one more day. It wasn't can you go another hour. It was can you go another minute. Can you go another 30 seconds. Can you go another 30 seconds? Can you make it a minute? Remember, I, I wasn't watching TV. I wasn't streaming Netflix. I wasn't, I couldn't listen to music. My eyes barely, anything that a nerve involved, like your ears, your vestibular system, so your ears, your eyes, it was just, it was a hot mess. Was, and um, then we'd get to about 1 a.m. I'd take the other pill and then uh, hopefully fall asleep, wake up, few hours later and do it all over again and um did that for a long period of time but I remember in the middle of all that having that kind of that thought of you know I'm like a boat that's cast off and I don't know where anything's going I remember experiencing the father's presence in a way that I never had before and when my 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 physical body wouldn't work and my emotions I couldn't trust my brain had kind of snapped, but my spirit man was still in tune with the Father. And I remember experiencing him 
and his, um, just his love, but not just his love, like a gooey, warm love, but like, it, it was like the, the words and the promises and his thoughts towards me, it was, it was like experiencing that. And in doing so, enabled me to hook my faith to something on the other side of what I was going through and to pull me forward in it. And I'll never forget, like, I don't know, that, that real intense time had gone on for, you know, months. And um, I remember I, I got to a point where I was just like, if, if this is it, just take me now. I, don't, I can't do this. Not one more minute. Um, and uh, I just kind of had this vision of a guy you may have seen it like in a like an old war movie where the the wounded dudes you know laying um, laying on the ground in the field and another soldier runs and grabs him and they grab his flag jacket and they just start dragging him amongst all of the the fire you know the guns and the everything to drag him back into their ditch where they can doctor him up. But I was just laying there, and I just all of a sudden had this image of Christ grabbing me. And, um, <clears throat> you know, pulling me forward. And, and I knew that I had reached the end of <laughs> me, you know, but that um, I had not even come close to reaching the end of him. And um, that, that vision of... Um, Christ, you know, carrying me, next thing you know, my entire situation turned around, um, and I thus began uh, a very long year of recovery, but that intense time had, had ended, um, and that's a, just a really brief snapshot of everything that, you know, I went through, um, so what I'm trying to trying to connect that to is these this talk of this line of thinking of you know when you're in the middle of something how hard it is to find the context or the what's on the other side versus just wallowing in it. Had I, I I have no doubt that had I not had a prophetic vision of what was on the other side, I would have just died. I really do think that. I think I would have just just stopped. And I don't know how people that don't have a hope for the future or some kind of a vision out there that they know the Father has offered. I don't know how they keep moving forward um, without that, because I know that for me, I would have just stopped, and I would have experienced probably a very real physical death. Um, the fun part about all that was I got halfway off and stopped and recovered, right? So we launched out in this business, so then... 2017, 2018, 2019 was just, man, that was a skyrocket. I've got some awesome stories of uh, just recovery because I thought I'd never walk. I had to learn how to walk. Time and space, um, I couldn't figure out how to get my feet underneath me or my knees under my body. I learned how to rebutton a shirt, um, pour coffee. 
time and space was weird, man. I remember one time I went to get coffee because you're a coffee guy. Yeah. And, of course, I make mine in a drip, you know, so don't throw anything at me. <laughs> but um, I grabbed the pot out, held the cup out, and then poured coffee all down my arm from my elbow, not even close to the cup. And my brain was like, hey, you need to stop. You're burning your arm. And I was like, the other half of my brain was like, I am, but I don't know how to stop. And my wife had to run and kind of grab my arms and take the pot away because I just time and space, man. It was like it was it's it's a real fun house up there. But mm-hmm. so then in uh, 2020, at the end of 2019, the father told me that it was time for me to finish what we had started. And so in 2020, um, we spent a month as a family. We entered into just a time of fasting and prayer, knowing that we were ramping up for me to finish and so all during covid during the pandemic which is that was a great idea um we spent all of 2020 with me finishing up coming off the last half and so in uh so the first part before 2016 17 yeah you successfully weaned yourself basically under half dose yep so all of all of the end of 2015 and then the beginning of 2016 got halfway down, and then spent all of 2016 into the beginning of 2017 in recovery. Okay. Yeah, halfway. And then 2020, Yep. God tells you we're, we're going to continue we're gonna this. we finish. Okay. Super scary. Yeah. What, what, was this already, we were into the pandemic? Nope. or Okay. And see, again, now we're right back to, but I had a word to launch on in the sense that, um, God had already told me it's time for you to finish. And I, I fully believe because of my belief system that when the father authors something, he, when he releases a word through the scriptures, through, through someone else to, directly to me, that everything I need is inside of that word, even the faith for that word, the resources, the money, the time, the so if God tells you, I need you to start a business, you're going to have to understand that everything you need is inside of that word by faith, right? He didn't just tell you to start a business and walk away. Does that make sense? And so for me, when he said it's time for us to finish, and then COVID hit, the pandemic, and I watched my income disappear, and I already I knew it was coming because I've been through this before, um, and I was already very scared <laughs> You know, I I had to sit down and just kind of put my hands on my chest and stare at the ceiling and be like, okay, it's it's going to be fine because the Father had already told you it was time. And if he knew it was time, he's made a way. And so, again, having that vision and that word for what's on the other side of this um, journey is what got me through. Faith. Yeah. Uh, try, I'm going to try not to to mess up the actual code. What is it? Faith is the substance of things hoped Before. for, the evidence of things not yet seen. Right. You had faith in something that you didn't yet have in your hands because of what, what you'd already experienced, because yeah. of the God that you had already met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was literally the only thing got me through. That and, and my I, wife. and man I'll tell you one of the things that was incredible hearing you talk about that is that the moments during all of that story that you 
got the most emotional about it were mm. not describing the the painfulness of it, mm. but describing the good acts of God in mm. the middle of it. Yeah. And that speaks to a perspective, too, that you have, to be able to not just look back with bitterness or anger toward pain, but that's secondary, just like we were talking about photography being secondary to, to something bigger. The pain in those hurtful circumstances that you mm. spent time in, you're able to see them for what they are, and it's not, they weren't the point. And they weren't, they weren't everything there. Mm -hmm. You were looking at something bigger and something deeper. And right. I think, man, so many of us need to be able to do that. I mean, it's one thing to be in the middle of it, and have difficulty holding on to hope, have difficulty right. believing in what tomorrow can be. It's another to have already gone through it, and now looking back, all you can do is curse what was done, mm -hmm. be angry at who did something, just filled with bitterness toward your situation. Mm -hmm. But you don't have that. You've got... You've got faith and a gratefulness and sure. perspective to speak about it as something that brought you on to the next stage. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I don't either. I don't know how people who don't have that, who don't have something to look forward to, I guess can't blame them for right. looking back on it and just yeah. having that bitterness. But it's so sad to, to know, I mean, not specifically, but to know generally what the solution is or what the mm -hmm. who the solution is i guess is better and to see that they just don't have it mm -hmm. and i'm i'm very grateful myself too that i'm not um in that same place yeah. that i that i can at the very least have enough perspective to know that pain is not the point that's not what right. it's about there's something else mm -hmm. that's i just got my first tattoos nice. recently yeah. yeah i got the word consider is yeah. on my right arm and the word remember is on my yeah. left and that's because i spent the latter half of the life i've lived so far like early teens to 26 um just in and out of depression mm. And I don't, I don't use the word lightly. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't like when it's used lightly or sure. terms like anxiety are used lightly. Right. Yeah. If you've been in it, you yep. know, it's, yeah. a, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I've been in situations where people are like, right. Oh, I'm just really anxious. And I think I'm just experiencing, I'm having anxiety. And I'm like, because they got your Chick-fil-A order wrong. You're, you're telling me that's anxiety <laughs> for you because now I'm offended. <laughs> yeah, <know>? like, <laughs> yeah. So I don't use I don't use the term lightly. I mean, yeah. I I went through yeah. different stages. I talked to people about it, like it felt like living life normal, and then I something triggers this spiral. Mm -hmm. I have some sort of attack where I become completely unable to believe in anything good. Mm -hmm. And I go down this steep incline into a valley. Mm -hmm. And somewhere along the way, I end up leveling out, but I don't climb back up. Mm -hmm. So every time this would happen, I would dip down and I'd be in this valley. And then I'd level out, I'd plateau, 
and I'd be relatively normal for a while, and then I would dip down again. And that kept happening, and each time it happened, it was more normal. It felt hmm. more like the status quo, yeah. being down there. It felt like thoughts of suicide were much more casual, much more just okay for me to think about, because every time it happened, I was looking back at my life and thinking, this is a pattern, and I'm struggling to see any reason to believe it's going to stop mm, rather yeah. than continue in that way. And it it sucked. <laughs> it was, it was it's, not, it's not a good place to be. No, it's not. So last September, I was in that again. I never really go through a very long period of time without dipping down into that valley. Okay. And so last September, I was back in there, and it would it started in, I think, June or July, and I was just, I was depressed again, and I was back in that place. I had become very numb, which was a new part of that for me. Okay. Yeah. Because I'm used to feeling things very strongly sure. all the time. I have a lot of big, heavy emotions, and maybe that's part of the 20s, too. <laughs> um but I'd been unable to really feel anything deeply for a number of weeks. I couldn't cry. Okay. I couldn't feel anything very strongly. I felt like things would skim across the surface of my mind. Mm -hmm. Like I could still smile about things. I could laugh, sure. but nothing affected me very deeply. Yeah. And I really wanted to cry. I really wanted to cry and punch holes in the walls. And I just couldn't work up any passion toward anything in me. Yeah. And I went to uh, what we call it a life group. Yeah. One of these days where a bunch of people from the church body I attend, we get together in a home and we eat food together and we read scripture and we pray and we sing. And it was toward the end of the night and we were singing and I had spent pretty much the whole night just sitting in the same place, just yeah. I was there kind of because it was just the thing that I did, but I really wasn't feeling, you know, I wasn't really into it. I didn't feel like being there. And music turns on, everybody's singing and praying and doing their own thing. And I'm there and I'm talking to God. And I, I'm at this point, I'm, I've spent most of my, most of my adult life feeling like I'm usually quite honest with God when I'm talking to him. Yeah. And I'm totally fine with that. And that wasn't different in that moment. I was still talking to him like I normally would, but I just, I didn't know what to do. And somebody sat down next to me and put their arm on me mm. and started praying. And the words they were saying, they did, I don't think they had any idea how impactful it was to me, mm. what they were saying. Yeah. <laughs> to me it was. And I felt in that moment God telling me that even if, the way that I was thinking was true. Even if all this analytical analysis yeah. of my life was accurate yeah. and I could rationalize the way that I had been thinking about myself or been thinking about life, even if it was true, I could not deny his love for me and what he'd done. And that's what mattered, that all the rest didn't matter, even if I was right. Mm -hmm. And he didn't say that I was right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just started breaking down. Yeah. I tears streaming out of my eyes. 
just feeling him tell me, remember what I've done. When I look at my life and I haven't been through what you've been through, I've had, you know, my own story. Everybody oh. does. Um, one person's story doesn't invalidate another. Mm-hmm. So we've all been through something. When I look at what I've been through, I see God's fingerprints yeah. all over it. Mm, and when I forget it, it man, I, it's a lot easier to get into that bad place. Yeah. But when I can remember, it, it just makes me laugh. It makes me giddy. Yeah. And I really felt him saying I needed to do that. Like, I needed to remember. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I look at Scripture now, and I realize that's God's call to his people all over. Well, remember it, what I've done for you. Yeah, I mean, in there, Scripture, it says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony. Right. The, that the remembering, rehearsing. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I think... That was when I started really realizing, thinking about it in this way, that remembering is a practice. Yeah. A practice of intentionally reminding yourself of what's happened, what's come before you. It doesn't happen automatically. You have to try. You have mm-hmm. to put some effort into realizing, all right, I know what I've been through. I can remember that. And I can remember what's happened. So I can choose because of that to believe in what God is going to do yeah. and what he said. And that word became very important to me because of that, because of that moment. And at this point, that's 10 months ago, which is the longest I've gone without being depressed since I was a teenager. Wow. Which is crazy. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it's huge. Um, It's very fitting that it was my first tattoo. Yeah. Yeah. I've wanted tattoos for a while, (laughs) but uh, haven't. Haven't had the my tattoo money just goes to my kids. Right. Yeah. It was never a priority for me financially. I started giving plasma back in yep. twenty been there. Yeah, yep. twenty seventeen or something, twenty eighteen. And initially it was because I wanted to make money to to buy tattoos. Yep. And when I started getting used to that income and I knew if I get a tattoo I have to give up the income for a little while, yep. I decided not to. But it turns out it was uh you could say it was ordained. The first tattoo go. had to be more meaningful. There you go. Yeah. But I, yeah, I say all that to say, like, it really matters being able to look back on your story with perspective mm-hmm. and, and know that there's purpose in the pain. I mean, that was, I had a friend, I, I opened my phone this morning and saw a text from a friend that was just her saying that actually something that my, one of my previous guests on the podcast had said was for her about, mm-hmm. he was talking about finding purpose in his pain because of things that God taught him. And I just thought it was so cool yeah. to have somebody actually reach out and tell yeah. me that that, yeah. that was well, for yeah. them. Because um, it's huge. Yeah, and I wish, I wish it was as simple as just telling somebody a story like this, right? Sharing it with them and now they understand. But unfortunately, it, it seems like we all just have to go through the ringer yeah. and find out for ourselves. Yeah. Um, but what a beauty when you can look back mm-hmm. and the pain that you went through isn't really the thing that moves you anymore. It's what you saw God do with it. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, I'm not a fan of when people throw those terms around without giving them weight either about depression, anxiety, 
Um, and part of the my recovery, it was a very well documented um, piece of it that I wasn't prepared for because I've I've not been a depressed person. But part of my journey into my recovery has been having very severe bouts of depression. I mean, just bone crushing. And I didn't catch it, and I didn't know what I was experiencing until I was in it and was numb. Nothing brought anything and, and zero hope and all that. And um, I recently went through another bout of it, um, even in the last 45 days. Now I can kind of catch it, and I see it for what it is. And because I've been through it, I can just, I'll just kind of ride it out and just knowing that it won't last forever. But I remember coming to the point of, you know, it's really easy to sit here and say, oh, you just ride it out. And you're like, oh, you know, um, it's not going to last forever. You say that now, but when you're in the throes of it and you're like, this is the worst thing ever. And this is never going to change. And I'm never going to get out of it. And what if I always feel this way? And what if it never goes away? And, and what if I, you know, all these things. But this particular time, um, I remember hitting a moment where I was in a church meeting. And um, was, again, just like, I was just so over it, man. And I was just like at the bottom of the barrel with this stuff. And I remember saying, and, and I, I tried, I thought I was honest with God. And then I realized I, I, I wasn't as honest. I, I remember one time uh, a couple years ago, something happened. I think a car almost hit me or something. And like a cuss word or something came flying through my brain. I didn't even say it. Just came to my brain. I was like, "Oh gosh!" And I, <laughs> I was just so. And I was like, "Try." Uh, it was like I was trying to hide it from God, as if He didn't already know, you know? Yeah. yeah. And kind of the same thing. I was like, "Oh, I'm being honest with God," as if He didn't know, you know, that I wasn't. And then I, I finally just had a real open and honest moment with God about what I was currently going through in the throes of this season of depression, <clears throat> and. What I found coming out of my mouth was exactly what you're talking about. And I began to rehearse him and his goodness and my testimony of what I had been through before. And then I I came to this conclusion that it didn't matter how I felt. It didn't matter all the questions that I had. None of them changed the fact of who he was and how he felt about me. And the moment that kind of locked in place, the, the depression didn't lift. I still went through it. But my outlook changed, mm-hmm. and my view and estimation of the Father changed once again, because I began to recognize that um, my temporary natural circumstances had begun to drive my view and my faith and my feelings, and I couldn't let it do that. And that just because I was going through stuff didn't change who He was. Mm-hmm. And so I, I get that. I love that you had that that moment. Um, and, and what it meant to you and, and what it still means to you. And, man, you're so right. That's, and I, I think what I, I don't, this is the second podcast I've ever done. And um, I think the thing that I get out of the most is that uh, I, get, I encourage myself because I get to share my story. Uh-huh. And I'm really not sharing it with you. As I'm sitting here listening to myself, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to myself. I'm rehearsing the things that the Father has done for me. Um, and it, and then when I go home, I'm like, man, because you go through these bouts of just dryness, of stuff. Mm-hmm. 
and you forget. And so you go get it tattooed or <laughs> you have a podcast yeah. or you have a coffee with someone and someone asks the right questions. You begin to unlock. Oh, man. You know, we just we get so earthy. We just forget mm-hmm. how amazing the father is and our walk with him and what he has extended to us that by faith we receive and activate. Uh, and so I, I, I'm just very grateful for these times and, and to get to hear yours as well. I really yeah. think we should set up a time where we sit down. You can record and publish it, but I think we should set up a time where we can sit down and um, I can interview you. You know, somebody just, uh, not the last one I recorded, but the one before that, my friend Tuck, he was yeah. he was saying that same thing. He said, yeah. when's your episode, Joel? Yeah. And I, my response is the same pretty much every time. Is I'm on every episode. Sure. So... People get bits and pieces of my story every time. Yeah, but wouldn't it be cool to not just be bits and pieces, to have a yeah. chunk, you know, that you could point towards somebody? Yeah. For me, what's funny is the last podcast I did, <coughs> I messaged the guy and I said, hey, would you mind sending me that to, to download? I'm not going to take away from your podcast, but I'm going to give this to my children because they will then begin be able to rehearse our family story mm. as a remembrance. I don't want them to forget. Yeah. I think that we've got some challenges in the world today because we've forgotten what we've overcome and what we've come through and how we got here. Mm-hmm. And I don't want my kids to do that or my grandkids. And so, you know, it'd be valuable for you to have be able to tell some. <laughs> and just think, you'd be able to rehearse yeah. your stories again when you're my age in 25, right. 26 years, whatever, yeah. uh, and see how much you've changed. Yeah. I feel like it needs to be a needs to be like episode 50 or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. A good round number. Yeah. And this is recording. This will be 32. Okay. So 32. So we got a little ways. Well, I'm down for it, though. I mean, I yeah. generally I just don't like talking about myself. There's this kind of um, instinctive aversion to me being me just talking about myself. Um, and that comes from initially an unhealthy place of mm. really – thinking of myself from a very low standpoint. Right. Yeah. And I don't want to go down that path. Um, but there's still the the lingering bits of that and the thought that, well, I, I'd rather stay yeah. in the background sure. and, and have this be about this other person. But I'm definitely down because I, I, I do think it would be valuable to, to tell certain stories. I mean, well, certainly it, just the yeah. way that I got to Arkansas was... Yeah me on the road for a month having absolutely no clue what was going on Mm. um i left the country at the beginning of 2020 and had no idea when i'd be back or if i'd be back or what was Mm. going on and people ask questions specifically about those periods because it's intriguing to people obviously and i i tend to only give bits and pieces and don't talk about it so it would be fun yeah but um not just yet I think, too, there's a difference between, you know, you talking about yourself and then someone asking you questions that you then answer. Right. So you wouldn't have to. I agree. You know, you and I could sit down or whoever, but I'd love to do it, but sit down and, you know, kind of pick and probe. and Yeah. So I've got, uh, you know, hearing enough about you now, I've got some specific questions I would ask because <laughs> I think that there's enough in you that would even benefit me from your story. Mm. Um, yeah, it has a whole different feel. And I love when people ask questions. I yeah. Hate, if I sit down and somebody's like, well, just talk, I'll probably, good chance I'll miss the mark. 
But if somebody started asking questions, then, um, you know, I'm down. I get to now. I get to answer. Yeah, it's interesting. You say it's different when it's it's different going around talking about yourself and somebody asking you questions. I recently was asking a specific question to a bunch of different people, several dozen people. It's kind of just become a question I like to ask now. It came up while I was working. Um, somebody complimented Clara. Okay. We were working yeah. together. And she didn't really know how to take it and kind of laughed about That's it. Funny. And then we started talking about that. And the question came to my mind, what adjectives would you use to describe yourself? And I started asking people that, asking regulars, asking customers yeah. who I'd never seen before, asking people at the grocery store, wherever. Yeah. And it's really interesting not only hearing people's answers, yeah. but seeing their reaction to being asked yeah. at all. And uh, for a lot of us, there's an initial kickback of right. either we want to say negative things. Yeah. That's the first stuff that comes to our minds. Or we want to qualify the positives yeah. in some way. Like, why, I, And why is that the default? Why is the negative a default? And why is the positive, why do we have to quantify it? Yeah. Well, I think, at least in part, we've, we've been trained. One, I think we have an identity crisis. Sure. And don't know how to separate the things that we do or the way that we are from who we are. Exactly, yeah. And so to name those things feels kind of scary, I think, because you're almost putting a name to your identity and then you have to hold on to that thing or yeah. being that thing or doing that thing. But also I think in general, without needing to even fully understand where it comes from, I think most of us are trained to have a, a pretty negative inner dialogue or inner, mo inner monologue, like this voice in our heads is not usually one that's talking us up. That's not been my experience right. anyway. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's shared with a lot of people. But watching that, I just had a conversation with a barista in another shop the other day, asking him the question, and he he made a similar comment that he doesn't he doesn't want to like talk about himself like that. And I told him it's I understand not volunteering information about yourself all the yeah. time, but I'm asking, so you get to you get to give like an honest answer of how would you describe right. yourself? And it's not boastful. It's not about being arrogant. It's about you probably know yourself better than anybody else, mm -hmm. any other human anyway. And I, I'd like to give you the opportunity to give some objective answers about yeah. how do you see yourself? Um, and speak kindly. I'll, if I tell people to, yeah. to give, if I give people parameters, I say you have to be kind and you have to be honest. <laughs> because... When you get locked up. Yeah. yeah. Because you can be, you know, you can be a little too, too kind maybe sure. and less objective and unrealistic about how you talk about yourself. Some people fall into that trap. Um, and then on the flip side, you can just have nothing but negative things to say. Yeah. And I don't think either of those is the camp I want to land in. Yeah. I want to be able to recognize things in myself and say, this is true and this is positive. And it's not always true, so I should work on that. If I want to be more kind, mm -hmm. I should work on that and try to be more kind. Um, or, um, yeah, I mean, if I, I use the example of my work. There's a difference between if I pour a cappuccino 
and it doesn't look good. There's a difference in me saying, I suck at pouring cappuccinos and saying, I didn't do very good this time. Yeah. I'm going to try to very do better yep. next time I very pour. True. Yeah. Yep. But it's uh it's a confusing area i think for a lot of people because i think of that identity thing we've conflated performance and identity very true i had a conversation with a guy here at work the other day and he had he had in a very positive manner come to me and presented a a work challenge that we had and a, a part of my role as the agency director is project management and i just internally i was like oh man i've really dropped the ball um, in this area, and now he's feeling the weight of it, and I need to pick it back up. And he just, he looked at me, and he said, um, you know, hey, are you good? You know, I, I brought these things up. I think we can work on them together to make them better. And he didn't even call me out on it, you know. And my response back to him was, yes, I'm just failing at my job. And I just, I'm horrible at my job. You know, that's what came out of my mouth. And he was like, well, number one, no, that's not true. And number two, you know, so is the cappuccino, right? You're like, well, I just suck at all cappuccinos. I'm the worst person ever, you know. <laughs> right, yeah. I don't know why we do that. Um, I think it's funny, like, <laughs> uh, just compliment someone on an article of clothing and see what they say. Because here's typically the response I get. Man, I really like those shoes. Oh, well, thank you. You know, I got them on sale, um, used from Facebook Marketplace. and. Eh. Okay, why do we, you know, <laughs> yeah, hey, I really it. like that new table you got in your house. Oh, thanks. It's got some scratches on the bottom, so they gave me a discount at the store, <laughs> right? Yeah. I've got one daughter, and I, I love her response because, and it's so foreign to hear these responses. You're like, I really like those shoes. Thank you. And then they don't say anything. <laughs> and you're just like, and? Yeah. Or to hear, I really like those shoes, and they go, thank you. I worked very hard to be able to afford them. Hmm, that's and great and i'm really enjoying them and i'm like okay that's a really weird response you know <laughs> yeah we're not used to that honestly i heard yeah. a guy i heard a guy who he deals with a lot of these issues i think he's a psychologist or something professor and he made a comment to your statement about asking people adjectives which is great i love these hard, those hard questions sometimes and he said he encouraged people to sit down annually and write their own eulogy Hmm. And he said, and then keep it updated. And I heard him say that like a couple years ago, and I was like, eh, I didn't really think anything about it. And then I hit this low spot in one of these depressed seasons, and I began to think about it like a few weeks ago. And I started in my head just writing it out. And it was crazy when you start to write about yourself the things that you would be known for or have done. And then you put a pen to paper, and then you're like, I worked really hard, and I did these things. Or in these areas, I didn't know if I'd be able to make it. And then, by by Christ and His Christ knowing, I overcame. You know, and you just like these are things you forget, mm-hmm. and to come back to them. And it's just it's a really neat exercise. Seems kind of morbid and dark, uh, <laughs> but it does bring a little focus. Yeah. So. I was having a conversation today with a coworker, it was I was really enjoying. Um, and I'd love your your perspective on this. I, not to keep harping on your age, but you're you're an older guy than sure. me. Yeah. And so I'd, I'm curious, as a man who's been married now for twenty, how many? 
How many years? Uh, this would be 24. 24 so years. We'll be going into our 25th. Yeah. What do you think of falling in love? What does that mean? I think I've already talked for like two hours, and now you want to open that. Falling in love. Yeah. Well, all I can do is rehearse my experience, and that would be I met my my wife, who wasn't my wife at the time, and there was just something about her that got my attention. And it went beyond what I would say... You know, I'm sure there was some kind of a chemical, emotional response, but it was just much deeper than that. Um, and, and and through that, we, I, I was I was a little concerned actually, like the day of our wedding, in the sense that I had a question of like, how do you know you love someone? You know, of course it's, you're being you're getting married, so you're scared and. Mm-hmm. You're, excited and you're like okay this is lifelong yeah after this we're tearing up the receipt you know and uh so i'm asking myself these big scary questions and i I didn't answer them then and i probably couldn't answer them now but i know that we it's something that we have grown in and it's 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 been organic and it's morphed and it's you know when we first got married um and i was really falling in love with her of course there was the initial physical attraction the emotional attraction and that was why i um loved her to me love is probably if you substitute the word love with the word value feels a little bit different Hmm. and especially in my to go back to my age what started off as some kind of a chemical response and what most of the world will call love now 24 years later after what we've been through together because I could, I would never be here spiritually, and I probably wouldn't be here alive naturally if it weren't for my wife. I value her in a much different way. And my value of her has changed, too, in the sense that, you know, when we first got married, it was, what can you provide for me? You know, maybe some income and some, you know, companionship, food, and then the mother of my children, and then all of that. And now, my value for her, I so value just who who she is in Christ and the Christ anointing she carries, and that she brings that that spiritual part of her into my life. I value her, how she views the world and her view and perception of things and what the Father's telling her that we can then act on together. So... The way that I value her is even different. So it's probably an impossible question for me to answer. But, um, yeah, it's it, to me it has a lot more to do with value um, than it does just the falling in love part. Yeah, I like that. Which it seems almost like you could separate, you could use that phrase falling in love and turn that into infatuation. Sure. Which is what I, I tend to like to do. And then <laughs> love, being to love someone, to have love for them is to understand that value. Mm-hmm. And they're different, but they're connected. Yeah. This is me reflecting and thinking as someone who's, yeah, yeah. you know, obviously I'm not yeah. married and haven't been in that same place. Um, I put a lot of thought into sure. it. 
Uh, we established that at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. This is an area that <laughs> I have, I've, I've um, put a lot of my mental energy into since I was probably 16, 17. Mm -hmm. The thought of marriage and what that is and yeah. how to do it well and why it matters. Um, and I think it's interesting. We were talking earlier today, me and my coworker, about how at some point, the idea of falling in love, becoming infatuated, um, became commercialized mm. and sold, um, commoditized. Yeah, uh, it, be, it became a product, and you know maybe through Hollywood or something else, through storytelling, people turned it into something that you you wanted to pick up from the grocery store and feel good about. Right, and. Because of that, we not only devalued loving someone as a choice, but even the the part of infatuation that is a real and beautiful thing, I think, um, that should be there. And now, again, we've taken these two things and we've made them one, and yet we don't know how to think about either of them a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. Our culture doesn't. Because I think it's really interesting to notice. I was I was like processing this while I was talking with with Sarah, uh, who I was working with. Because I was thinking it's it's so funny to me looking at this emotion and realizing how it's changed for me as as I'm getting older. I'm having more experiences outside of just relationships with another human that feel like that infatuation, mm -hmm. that feel like falling in love. Yeah. And I recounted as a story of being in Australia, staying with these people and going for a walk. And I was walking, I was in an area called Callista, which is near Melbourne. It's kind of in, in the hills, and you can, okay. from certain vantage points, you can look out over and you see the city in the distance and yeah. the ocean. And I was walking through these fields with this golden grass up to my waist and just meandering around. I found this tree, and I love tr climbing trees, and yeah. I climb up in this tree, and I just kind of stand there, and I listen to the wind blowing through the trees. Mm -hmm and the birds, which are very vocal and confident in Australia, yeah. and the bugs, and just everything you hear in nature, and that's all there is. And that feeling to me is it's related. It's like akin to this infatuation. Mm. And it's so interesting to me that I'm seeing it in different areas and being able to find it not just in relationship with people, but in relationship to this God I follow and this world that he's placed me in. Yeah. And it's so cool, especially for me as a single man, to, to be able to notice that and then see that play out in so many different areas. And really, I think, be just shown the love of God in different ways in my life right mm. now. The fingerprints of God all over yeah. the world that he's, he's built and given to us. And it's really cool to think of, of that not just as an isolated experience just with the person, yeah. but that it speaks to 
a greater and a deeper intimacy with our creator that I think is supposed to be pointed to by that marriage relationship, by having that kind of intimacy with somebody um, who you can see the heart of God in. Mm-hmm. I think it's, it's really beautiful. And if I only thought of it as this version of love that Hollywood sells to us, yeah. I'd be missing out on both oh, sides sure. of that. I'd be missing out on this beautiful thing that is chemical in, in my body and in my mind, yeah. and also missing out on the aspect of it that is having a choice to value someone yeah. and growing in that throughout my life. That, that came up today, and I was yeah. thinking about that and talking, and I thought, You'll have some deep talks, man, over coffee. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> funny. When you're on the other side of the counter, you're still just getting, you're still getting paid to have those conversations. Yeah. Or you're getting paid now to have those conversations rather than going to a coffee shop right. and paying for a cup of joe right. yeah. so you can have that conversation That's or a, a space to have it. And I like... Um, I love doing that. For me, it's there's times, especially recently, more and more, I think, there's times where I become frustrated with the surface level interaction, the surface level um, relationship that a lot of my job is. Because it's it's pretty transactional. Everything is pretty fast. And the moments when I get to have a deeper connection with somebody and then invite other people into it are the times I really value the privilege I have in being there. And that's what I tell people. I mean, specifically newer people, but people who have been there as well. I used to train people at Starbucks and I loved being able to talk to them about this and, and help encourage them to not see people as customers and you're not just there to you're not just there to sell coffee. You're there to connect with this person, yeah. and that matters more. I I joke, but it's it's really totally true. With that work, I say I don't. I really don't care about selling coffee. Yeah. I'm not here to sell coffee. I'm here to sell an atmosphere. Yeah. Because people come in, and I don't really care what you get. You can just get a cup of water and sit down and enjoy the space. But I want you to be able to leave knowing you had a, a right. good experience with another human being. And from a business perspective, that matters too because they want to come back to a place like that anyways. So I don't have anything to worry about practically yeah. in terms of, oh, they didn't get their right. their latte today. That's right. $5 we just missed out on. People want, people go to a coffee shop because they want, usually they want some sort of connection beyond 100%. Yeah. grabbing coffee off of a shelf yeah. or through a drive through window. Yeah. No, I mean, that's nine. why people like Seven Brew, yeah. because they can go get their thing, and it's fast and convenient, but the person talks to them the entire time. Yeah, no, eight times out of ten, when I'm getting coffee, it's, I'm paying for the opportunity to, to be able to engage with people. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of our business model for many years when we were getting started, that we, we just, we were around downtown at all times having coffee, because it always opened up opportunities for conversations and connections, mm-hmm. not for business, but with people. Yeah. Man, we've covered a lot of good stuff. 
Yeah. I feel like we can wind down. Okay. Because as as I'm trying to remind listeners now, pretty much every episode toward the end of the episode, the point of this podcast is not to finish any conversations. It's just to get them started. Sure. And to inspire other people to do it. Because I think this kind of thing is really hard for a lot of people. Especially, I think, I'll speak for myself and my generation. I think we struggle with it a great deal. Mm. Maybe, you know, you could point the finger at social media or phones or whatever and say we've, we've, we're training ourselves to not have deep interaction. Mm-hmm. And whatever it is, I like stretching myself to have them because, I mean, I still get nervous before recording these things. Sure. I'm just sitting down and having a conversation and it makes me yeah. nervous still. But I also recognize from doing this now for a little while that I can't finish any of these conversations. Sure. When I first started recording, I, I had no plan really, and I just thought I'm going to sit down and I'm not putting any time limit on it, and we're just going to talk through your life. And I realized, specifically looking back later, when I started recording again, because I took a break of about a year, when I started recording again, I realized the reason these episodes don't flow very good <laughs> is because there's no way you can cram somebody's whole life into yeah. a few hours. Right. And instead, I end up just skimming across the surface of a bunch of stuff and getting lost because I don't have any goal or focus in it. And so it was biographical to a fault, but you didn't learn as much as you could. Yeah. So I try to now be a little more intentional about that and just have a conversation. You know, we can only touch on so much. And anything we do, even if, like, we've had a good conversation and gone, like, into some things that are pretty heavy, Mm -hmm. but you could could go a lot deeper. Sure. So I, I like to remind myself, for the sake of the life that I'm living, and anybody who's listening, like, just start a conversation with somebody. Yeah. Like this podcast was first and foremost for me because I learned how to talk to people like three years ago. Mm. And I wanted to see how far I could take it. Like what are the conversations I can actually have? So we'll wind down, but yeah. we're gonna we'll end on a couple things. Every episode ends with the guest giving a recommendation. And telling a funny story. Mm. Those are the two things. Recommendation for? Anything. It can be anything. Usually it's pretty existential. But there have been a couple that have just been very practical. Like, I don't know, some books. Somebody has recommended gotcha. books before. Well, I think that, I, I know that for me, what I would recommend to myself, having come out of this podcast, would be to recommend that, you know, we, uh, myself, really take time to sit down and rehearse the things that the Father's done for me and rehearse my story, even if it's just for myself. Mm. I think that everyone would do well um, to do that. Um, I just, because I, I do it and I'm like, why do I not do this more? Because I get so much life and encouragement out of it. Um, so maybe, you know, that'll, uh, that recommendation may help somebody else. Yeah, I, um, think so. I guess outside of that, if you've never put um, mayonnaise on baked beans, that works really <laughs> too. Seriously, uh, I, maybe yeah, a, I've never done that. Maybe it's a southern Louisiana thing, but just put a little dollop of mayonnaise on your baked beans next time you're at the Fourth of July picnic. <laughs> okay, and uh, try that. 
I'll take that into consideration. Yeah. So what what was the other one? A funny story. A funny story because I like to end on a high note. Man, funny stories. My kids would probably be able to tell you several I have, but I'm trying to remember <laughs> any right now. I jokingly say that this is the hardest question I ask anybody on the podcast. Most of my humor is pretty self-deprecating, and it's like <laughs> laughing through some tragedy, right? Um, let me not tell that one. Okay, uh, yeah, I'll just tell on myself, and yeah. and you can decide if it's funny or not. Okay. In high school, um, so I graduated in 91, 92, and we had senior parking where only the seniors were allowed to park at their high school. I don't know if that's a thing everywhere, but in this little town of 7,000. And um, so it was nearing the end of my junior year, so I was soon to be a senior. And most of the seniors were already skipping the last few weeks and days of school uh -huh. uh, based on the fact that they didn't have anything they needed to do to graduate. Right. And so one day uh, I decided to go ahead and park in the sacred senior parking. Uh -huh. <clears throat> I had an old beat up pickup truck. And uh, I did that. And next thing you know, I'm in the kind of the lobby area of our high school, and this young lady comes up, and she was a senior, and I had taken her spot. And she just lit me up one side and down the other in front of all of my friends. And I was just mortified and so embarrassed that she did that. And so um, I... I <laughs> I went out, I moved my car, and then um, came back the next day. And because we lived in a rural area and I had a pickup truck, you had to drive your bags of garbage to these little, like, landfills, right? Uh -huh. So you would see people all the time with bags of their household garbage back of the truck on their way to drop it at the dump because they just didn't come pick it up with dump trucks. Okay. And so I had several bags in the back of my truck, and the next day at school we went – and um, found her car. She had a, a renovated 65 Mustang. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and we proceeded to dump all of the trash into her vehicle, uh, me and another person. Unnamed. N yeah, unnamed. And uh, I hate to say that I did that, but uh, so then uh, I went, to, went on about my day, went on about school, and got home that afternoon, and my dad is standing there at the door uh, when I come in, and he just looks at me, and I could tell something's up, something's not right. And he just looked at me, and he said, I got a call from the police. <laughs> and I was like, okay, and I'm playing dumb. I'm like, oh my gosh, Dad, what's going on? What's wrong, you know? And he just looked at me, and he said, you know, the next time you decide to dump garbage in somebody's car, you might want to take out all of our mail that has our name addresses <laughs> on it. <laughs> and I was like, Scott, oh, so close. Oh, man. And, um, yeah, that, that began several months of, uh, of, I think, you know, hard labor and uh, some very rigid disciplinary actions. Yeah. But I'll just never forget the fact that <laughs> I thought I was just going to get away with dumping yeah. garbage with my parents' names all over it. Lesson learned. Lesson. Yeah, a, <laughs> you know, that's a horrible story because you shouldn't even have to be a lesson. Right. But, uh, but you remembered? 
I did. And you, I'm uh, sure there's a life lesson or something. Yeah. Somebody will get something out of that. Surely. Hopefully. Somebody may be on their way to do the same thing That's listening right. to this in their car. Yeah. Just turn them around. I feel bad like I should come up with a different story. <laughs> it, it, it actually made me laugh because my first job was at a hospital. I worked in, um, just in food service. I was in yeah. the kitchen. And we had a parking deck that was, I think, four levels. The top level was the roof. And the closer you could be to the door and the first level, the, the better off you were. Like, that's a privileged spot to be in. But those were all reserved. That was known as the physician's floor, I believe. But I started realizing that these physicians, some of them drive really nice Benz. Some of them drive old beaters. And so I just started poking in the spots. And I think I began specifically going into the nurse of the year spot. Because it was always... Empty, yeah. pretty much. I never got caught for it. But I do remember always looking around very carefully yeah. when I got out of my car because security you know, like would patrol it year? some days. Yeah. Yeah. Because you go through these bouts of just dryness of stuff and you forget. And so you go get it tattooed.